which of the demon sees, chapter 7. Day crept past in a blindness of rain. Twice Xanthians brought them food, and once Coron and Amazu ventured down the ramp to find their way barred by spear-bearing reptiles. For the rest they were alone. It ate at the nerves like an acid. Shorzan sat stiff, unmoving on a couch, eyes clouded with thought. His gaunt body could have been that of Kemrian mummy. Imazu squatted unhappily, carving one of the intricate trinkets with whose making sailors pass dreamy hours. Corrin paced like a caged beast, throttled rage mounting in him. Even Perius grew restless and took to padding up and down the antechamber, passing Corrin on the way. The man could not help a half-smile. He was growing almost fond of the Irinye and his honest malevolence after the intriguing of humans and Xanthi. Only Chryseus remained calm. She lay curled on her bed, like a big beautiful animal, the long silken hair tumbling darkly past her shoulders, the veiled smile on her red lips. And so the day wore on. It was toward evening that they heard slow footfalls and looked out to see a party of Xanthi coming up the ramp. It was an awesome sight, the huge golden forms moving with deliberation and pride under the shimmering robes that flowed about them. Some were warriors, with saw-edged pikes flashing in their hands, but the one who spoke, Greeting from Zathu, king of the demon sea, to Shazan Navigator, the voice boomed. You are to feast with the lords of the Xanthi tonight. I am honored, bowed the sorcerer. The woman Chryseus will come with me, for she is equal with me. That is permitted, said the Xanthian gravely. And we, I suppose, wait here, muttered Corin rebelliously. It won't be for long, smiled Chryseus softly. After tonight, I think it will be safe to tell you what you wish to know. She had donned a banqueting dress carried up with her from the ship, a clinging robe of the light rippling silk of Yang Nu the scarlet cloak that was like a rush of flame from her slim bare shoulders, barbarically massive bracelets and necklaces, a single fire ruby burning at her white throat. Pearls and silver glittered like dewdrops in her night-black hair. The loveliness of her caught at Corrin's throat. He could only stare with dumb longing as she went after Shorzan and Azanthi. She turned to wave at him. Her whisper twined around his heart, Good night, beloved. When they were gone, the Irinye padding after them, Imazu gave Corrin a rueful look and said, So, now we're out of the story. Not yet, answered the Conahurian, still a little dazed. Oh yes, oh yes. Surely you do not think that we plain sailormen will be asked for our opinions. No, Corrin, we are only pieces on Shorzan's board. We have done our part, and now he will put us back in the box. Gracius said, Amazu shook his scarred, bald head sadly. Surely you don't believe a word that black witch utters. Corrin half drew his sword. I told you before that I'd hear no word against Crassius, he said thinly. As you will, it doesn't matter anyway. But be honest, Corrin. Strike me down if you will, it doesn't matter now. But try to think. I've known Crassius longer than you, and I've never known anyone to change their habits overnight. For anyone. She said, Oh, I think she likes you, in her own way. You make as handsome and useful a pet as that Irinye of hers, but whatever else she is after, it is something for which she would give more than the world, 
and not have a second thought about it. Corrin paced unhappily. I don't trust Shazan, he admitted. I trust him as I would a mad Ferax, and anything Tsathu plans is evil. He glared down the cavernous mouth of the ramp. If I could only hear what they say. What chance of that? We're under guard, you know. Ah, so, but... Struck with a sudden thought, Corrin went over to the window. The rain had ceased outside, but a solid wall of fog and night barred vision. It was breathlessly hot, and he heard the low muttering of thunder in the hidden sky. There were vines growing on the wall, tendrils as thick as a man's leg. The broad leaves hung down over the sill, wet with rain and fog. I remember the layout of the castle he said slowly. It's a warren of tunnels and corridors, but I could find my way to the feasting hall. If they caught you, it would be death, said Imazu uneasily. Corrin's grin was bleak. It will most likely be death anyway, he said. I think I'll try. I am not as spry as I once was, but no, no, Imazu, you had best wait here. Then if anyone comes prying and sees you, he'll think we're both here, maybe. Corrin slipped off tunic and sandals, leaving only his kilt. He hung his sword across his back, put a knife in his belt, and turned toward the window. It may be all wrong, he said. I should trust Crassius, and I do, Imazu, but they might easily overpower her, and anything is better than this waiting like beasts in a trap. The guards be with you, then, said Imazu huskily. He shook a horny fist. To hell with Shazan, I've been his thrall too long. I'm with you, friend. Thanks, Corrin swung out the window. Good luck to both, to all of us, Amazu. The fog wrapped around his eyes like a hood. He could barely see the shadowy wall, and he groped with fingers and toes for the vines. One slip, one break, and he would be spattered to red ruin in the courtyard below. Down and down and down, twigs clawed at him. The branches were slick in his hands buried under a smother of leaves. His muscles began to ache with the strain. Several times he slipped and saved himself with a desperate, clawing grip. Something moaned in the night, under the deepening growl of thunder. He clung to the wall and strained his eyes down. A breath of wind parted the fog briefly into ragged streamers through which winked the savage light of a bolt of lightning, high in the murky sky. Down below was the courtyard, he saw the metallic gleam of scales, guards pacing between the walls. Slowly he edged his way across the outjutting tower to the main wall of the castle. Slantwise he crept over its surface until a slit of blackness loomed before him. Another window. He had to squeeze to get through, the stone scraping his skin. For a moment he stood inside, breathing heavily, the drawn sword in his hand. There was a corridor stretching beyond this room on into a darkness lit by the ghostly blue fungus glow. He saw and heard nothing of the Xanthi, but something scuttled across the floor and crouched in a shadowed corner, watching him. On noiseless bare feet, he ran down the hall. Fog eddied and curled in the tenebrous length of it. He heard the dripping of water, and once a shuddering scream ripped the dank air. He thought he remembered where he was in that labyrinth, left here, and there would be another ramp going down. A huge golden form loomed around the corner. Before the jaws could open to shout, 
Corin's sword hissed in a vicious arc, and the Xanthian's head leaped from his shoulders. He kicked the flapping body behind a door and sped on his way, panting. Halfway down the ramp, a narrow entrance gaped, one of the tunnels that riddled the building through its massive walls. Corin slithered down its lightless wet length. It should open on the great chamber and black against the dim blue light of the exit. A motionless form was squatting. Corin groaned inwardly. They had a guard against intruders then. Best to go back now. No, he snarled soundlessly and bounded forward, clutching the sword in one hand and reaching out with the other. Fingers rasping across the scaly hide, he hooked the thing's neck into the crook of his elbow and he yanked the heavy body back into the tunnel with one enormous wrench. Blind in the darkness, he stabbed into the mouth, driving the point of his sword through flesh and bone into the brain. The dying monster's claws raked him as he crouched over the body. He reflected grimly that no matter how benevolent the Xanthi might be, he would die for murder if they ever caught him. But he had no great fear of their suddenly becoming tender toward mankind. The bulk of the reptile race was peaceable, actually, but their rulers were relentless. The tunnel opened on a small balcony halfway up the rearing chamber wall. Corin lay on his belly, peering down over the edge. They sat at a long table, the lords of the demon sea, and he felt a dim surprise at seeing that they were almost through eating. Had his nightmare journey taken that long? They were talking, and the sound drifted up to his ears. At the head of the table, Zarthu and his counsellors sat on a long, ornate couch, ablaze with beaten gold. Shorzan and Chryseus were reclining nearby, sipping the bitter yellow wine of the Xanthi. It was strange to hear the hideous hissing and croaking of the reptile language coming from Chryseus's lovely throat. Interesting, I am sure, said the king. More than that, more than that. It seemed to Corin that he could almost see the terrible fire in Shorzan's eyes. The wizard leaned forward, shaking with intensity. You can do it. The Xanthi can conquer Akira with ease. Your sea cavalry and serpents can smash their ships. Your devil powder can burst their walls into the air. Your legions can overrun their land. Your wizardry blind and craze them. And the terror you will inspire will force the people to do our bidding. Possibly you overrate us said Sathu. It is true that we have great numbers and a strong army, but do not forget that the Xanthi are actually a more peaceful race than man. Your kind is hard and savage, murdering even each other, making war simply for loot or glory, or no real reason at all. Until the king race arose, the Xanthi dwelt quietly on the sea bottom, and a few small islands without wish to harm anyone. They have not even the natural capacity for magic possessed, however undeveloped, by all humans. As a result, they are much more susceptible to it than men. Thus, when the king race was born with such powers, they were soon able to control all their people and make themselves the absolute masters of the Xanthi. But we, kings and wizards and lords of the demon sea, are all one interbred clan. Without us, the Xanthi power would collapse. They would go back to what they were. Even Xanthi science is all of our making. We, the king race, developed the devil powder, and all that we have ever made is stored in the dungeons of this very building, enough to blow it into the sky. Zathu made a grimace which might have been a sardonic smile. Do not read weakness into this admission, he said. Even though all the lords who make Xanthian might are gathered in this one room, that power is still immeasurably greater than you can imagine. 
to show you how hopeless you are. Your men are locked into the dungeons, and your gesher has been lifted from their minds. Impossible, gasped Chosen. A gesh can't be lifted. But it can. What is it but a compulsion implanted into the brain, so deeply as to supersede all other habits? One mind cannot erase that imposed pattern, but several minds working in concert can do so, and that I and my counsellors have done. As of today, your folk are free in soul, hating you for what you have made them. You are alone. The great scaled forms edged closer menacingly. Corin's fist clenched about his sword, if they harmed Chryseus. But she said cruelly, It does not matter. Our men were simply to bring us here, nothing else. We can dispense with them. What matters is our plan to impose magic control over Kera. I cannot see what benefit the Xanthi would get of it, said Zathu impatiently. Our powers of darkness are so much greater than yours already that... Let us not use words meant to impress the ignorant among ourselves, said Chryseus scornfully. Every sorcerer knows there is nothing of heaven or hell about magic. It is but the imposition of a pattern on other minds. It creates, by control of the senses, illusions of lycanthropy, or whatever else is desired, or it binds the subject by the unbreakable compulsion of a gesh. But it is no more than that, one mind reaching through space to create what impressions it wills on another mind. Your devil powder, or an ordinary sword, or axe, or fist, is more dangerous if the fools only knew. Corrin's breath hissed between his teeth. If, if that, oh guards, if that, was the secret of the magicians. As you will, said Zathu indifferently. What matters is that there are more of our minds than you are too, and thus we can beat down any attempt you may make against us. So it comes back to the question, why should we help you seize and hold Akewa? What will it gain? I should say nothing of its great wealth, said Shorzan. But it is true, as you say, that many minds working together are immeasurably more powerful than one, more powerful even than the sum of all those minds working separately. I have worked with as many as a dozen slaves, having them concentrate with me, so that I could draw their mind force through my own brain and use it as my own, and the results have amazed me. Now if the entire population of Akira were forced to help us, all at one time, the Xanthi's eyes glittered, and a low murmur rose among them. Shalzan went on rapidly. It would be power over the world. Nothing could stand before that massed mental force, with us skilled sorcerers to direct and the soldiers of Xanthi to compel obedience. We could lay a gesh on whole nations without even having to be near them. We could span immeasurable gulfs of space and contact minds on those other worlds which philosophers think exist beyond the upper clouds. We could, by thus heightening our own mental powers, think out the very problems of existence, find the deepest secrets of nature, forces beside which your devil powder would be a spark, drawing life energy from other bodies we would never grow old, as we would live forever. Zathu, lords of Xanthi, I offer you a chance to become gods. The stillness was broken only by the muttering and whispering of the Xanthi among themselves. Mist drifted through the raw, wet night of the hall. The walls seemed to waver, shift and blur like smoke. Why could we not do this in our own nation? asked Zathu. Because, as you yourself said, the Xanthi do not have the latent mental powers of humans, save for you few who are the masters. It must be mankind who is controlled, with the commoners of your race as overseers. And why could we not kill you and do this ourselves? 
Because you do not understand humans, the differences are too great. You could never control human thoughts as Chrysias or I could. Another Xanthian spoke. But do you realize what this will do to the human race? Your occurrence will become mindless machines under such control. Drained of life energy, they will age and die like animals. I doubt that any will live ten seasons. What of that? shrugged Chrysias. There are other nations nearby to draw on. Conaher, Nariki, Kemri, ultimately, the world. We will have centuries, remember. We will never die. And you do not curve your old race at all. It will no longer be our race said Shozan. We will be gods, thinking and living and wielding such powers as they, as we ourselves right now, could never dream. Why do what you will with our men here to start? What does it matter? We do not harm the yellow-haired man from Conaher, said Chrysis sharply. He's mine, forever. Zathu sat thinking, like the statue of a Cameron beast god, cast in shining gold. Slowly, at last, he nodded and an eerie sigh ran down the long table as the lords of the Xanthi hissed agreement. It will be done, said Zathu. Corrin stumbled back down the tunnel, reckless of discovery, blind and deaf with madness that roared in his skull. Chryseus, Chryseus, Chryseus. It was not the horror of the scheme, the ruin that it would bring even if it failed, the revelation of how immeasurably powerful were the forces leagued against man. He could have stood this and braced himself to fight it as long as there was breath in his lungs. But Chryseus, she had been a part of it. She had helped planet, had coldly condemned her whole race to oblivion. She had lied to him, cheated him, betrayed him, used him, and now she wanted him for a toy, an immortal puppet, which, which, which! less human than the Irinye at her feet than the Xanthi themselves, mad with a cold madness such as he had never thought could be. Chryseus, 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 I loved you. With all my heart, I loved you. There was no hope in him, no longing for anything but the fullest revenge he could take before they hewed him to the ground. Had the old Xanthian wizard foretold he would bring death, I, by the mad, cruel gods who rule men's destinies, he would. He reached the corridor and began to run.